Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great America Show. Here we always keep in view what a great nation America is and what a great people we Americans are. Our perspective, obviously, the opposite of the left-wing national media and the Marxist left that controls the Democratic Party and insidiously permeates now our schools from kindergarten through university. Teachers in our public schools seem more energized by indoctrination rather than education of our young people. But we are coming to terms, aren't we, with the threats that this nation faces, whether from the left and the Democratic Party or from within the Republican Party and the rhinos who further empowered the Biden administration and its socialist agenda. It may be more than socialist, but we'll leave it at socialist for now. 13 Republican members of the House, 19 senators supporting the multi-trillion dollar spending plan of Mr. Biden. And Biden's buddy, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, hailed that bipartisan legislation. Thanks to his rhino stewardship, Biden was able to move this nation closer to being a debtor nation in perpetuity. There's much political confusion raging through our body politic now, and no wonder we have a president and vice president who together have historic low approval ratings, who insult the intelligence of American voters almost daily, while blaming, for example, American consumers for supply chain disruptions. President Biden is keeping our border wide open and importing poverty and uneducated labor by bringing in what is estimated to be 2 million illegal immigrants in Biden's first full year in office. Yes, these times are a bit confused. But amidst these confounding times, there are rays of transparency and some great clarity. With his recent indictment, special counsel John Durham is bringing facts to light to support what many of us have suspected for years and some of us have actually known. The Trump dossier was a fraud, a smear job organized by the Clinton campaign, the Democratic National Committee, a leading Democratic law firm, and of course the national left-wing media obliging at almost every turn. Chronicling the outrages against President Donald Trump, the Federalist Web Magazine has been amongst the most prominent news organizations covering the Russia hoax, the attempted impeachments of President Trump, the political carnival of 2020, and the presidential election beset by fraud, irregularities, and still unanswered questions about how the vote was counted and by whom. The Justice Department, the FBI, other investigative law enforcement agencies chose not to investigate, not to inquire, and simply stepped aside, leaving open the central and still red-hot political question, 
Was there sufficient fraud and irregularities in the 2020 presidential election to have altered the outcome in favor of President Biden? Joining us now, the founder of the Federalist Web Magazine, Sean Davis. He's also a great, great American. He's also an entrepreneur, a journalist, a graduate of Texas Tech University, the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Sean, with those credentials, we're especially delighted to have you here, being a, a, a Texas Tech Red Raider. Good to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's start with that red hot question. Will we ever know if there was sufficient fraud and irregularities in 2020 to have altered the outcome of a presidential election? I actually don't think we'll ever know, and it has to do with the what I believe is the root of the problem. So I, I don't personally, I do not believe that uh, the the balance of power was changed, that uh, vote tallies were changed in the middle of the night or that that voting machines were, uh, you know, changing results and all that. I, I actually think it was a lot more uh, insidious than that. And it mainly did with how all the rules of how we've done elections were changed, you know, just a couple months before the election. Uh, especially with respect to all the mail-in ballots. So we had a system that was not uh, really designed or prepared to be able to ha handle securely all that influx of ballots. You, you had, uh, you know, in some states, ballots being mailed to just any address they had on file. There was reports all over of people getting, you know, six or seven ballots in their mail. Uh, I think it, the moment that uh, the, the Democrat Party and the Biden campaign were able to use COVID to basically uh, kind of sideline in-person voting and move everything towards mail-in balloting where you're not really having to check an ID. You don't know if the person who's filling out the ballot is the person who's actually allowed to vote. I believe that once that happened, not only had the die been cast really for, for what the results were going to be, but also at that time, you kind of eliminated the ability to be able to go back in and figure out well, which votes were legal, which votes weren't legal. In some states, you had them throwing away ballot envelopes, so you couldn't even compare the envelope with, with the, the uh, ballot that was in there. So I personally don't believe we will ever really know. Maybe it was totally on the up and up. Maybe, as the left says, it was the most safe and secure election ever. I don't think that's the case, but I think just the nature of how the system was kind of manipulated, we're never going to have in black and white and smoking gun what the numbers were and what they should have been. Yeah, I, I agree with you on uh, on your outlook for resolution and, and for answers. Uh, and, and I do think uh, the great shame of this is not that fraud was perpetrated. Uh, it is not that irregularities occurred. It is that, first, the Republican Party lacked the uh, intelligence and the guts uh, and, the, and just simply the sense to be aware of what the Democrats were pulling off in the year preceding that election, uh, using, as you said, COVID as a, uh, as a screen and a shield and a fog in which to change election day to election months. And the result was uh, an election with the least oversight, I believe, of any election, certainly in my memory uh, and, and my knowledge uh, ever occurring in this country. Right. And, and it wasn't just kind of a, a Democrat versus Republican thing. You also have mm -hmm. to look at the role the courts played in here. There oh, were yes. there were indications in uh, you know Pennsylvania, for example, where the courts just rewrote arbitrarily 
uh, state law. They, they rewrote things that were required in the Constitution for how elections have to be run, uh, namely that only the legislature can change these certain things. And you had the courts just go in and say, yeah, we're not going to do any of that. We just don't feel like it. And, uh, you know, come at us. And then when either the Trump campaign or the party goes to the courts on the front end, you had the court saying, well, there's no there's no injury yet. So we don't you don't have standing. There's no been not been an actual injury because we haven't had the election yet. And then when they went back after the election, when they could show injury, they said, ah, well, I mean, we already had the election. So your points kind of moot. It was the courts took a, you know, uh, uh, tails, they, the other side wins, heads you right. lose approach to it. Uh, you even had it with uh, the Texas case where you had Texas suing other states and in right. the Supreme Court, which is required by the Constitution to, to adjudicate all disputes between states. It doesn't say the Supreme Court can do it if it feels like. That's the, uh, that's the original court of jurisdiction for disputes between states. They have to take it up. Right. And the Supreme Court said, no, nah, we're not going to do it. Right. So it's to me, it's not just Republicans kind of being their typical feckless selves and being outmaneuvered by Dems. <laughs> you had the whole system really engineered against uh, anyone who thought anything that was happening to Trump was maybe bad and might have really bad long-term implications for the country. And the Supreme Court had two opportunities to intercede uh, and to, if not uh, be uh, an investigative arm, but at least carry out its role as the uh, the supreme adjudicator of law and uh, and activities, uh, and, and judge whether they're lawful. It refused to do so. It was, uh, if I think the word feckless moves now from a, an adjective for uh, for Republicans to the Supreme Court itself. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And we kind of see that time and time again with with the Roberts court in particular, with Roberts uh, creating this idea in his head that the purpose of the court is to remain legitimate, whatever that means, in the eyes of the public, rather than having the constitutional duty uh, to look at the law and the facts and do what the Constitution requires. So what what happens there with him uh, is what happened in the Obamacare case, where he apparently knew how he was going to vote, and then the left-wing corporate media bullied him, and then he ends up coming kind of on the back end with this completely tortured, incoherent, internally inconsistent reason why uh, Obamacare was legal. This is a guy who who said he can be he, he's shown that uh, his court can be bullied into doing certain things with certain political outcomes uh, by the corporate left-wing media. And I think we saw that same dynamic play out in a lot of these election uh, suits. And, and I'm not talking about the ones about like Dominion or vote stealing or whatever. I'm right. talking about very grave constitutional issues about who in this country uh, is allowed to set the rules for elections. It ain't the courts. It's the legislatures. Uh, right. And clearly the legislatures had their authority usurped and the uh, Supreme Court just kind of said, eh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That, that's hugely problematic, regardless of which party it helps or hurts. Right. It, 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 it was stunning. But as you suggest, uh, to be stunned by uh, Justice Roberts' uh, ability uh, to torture uh, both the law and the facts, uh, we should, I suppose, have been uh, stunned. But when you see and become suddenly an advanced uh, semanticist who can turn the word tax uh, into the into a fee uh, and then do double backflips to get to where he wants to be uh, in the outcome of that case, uh, the Obamacare case. It, it's just it, it's just a mark 
on the court that'll last, I guess, forever. Uh, you know, we're talking about the the GOP leadership. Uh, it was happy to leave the questions about the 2020 elections, uh, and like so many others in this country, just let uh, let it all be buried in the dustbin of history. But suddenly, a man many of us had given up on after two and a half years of investigation, suddenly uh, arises and special counsel John Durham is indicted, not only uh, Democratic lawyer David Sussman, uh, Igor Danchico, operative of the Brookings Institution, and Kevin Kleinsmith. My goodness, we now have before us uh, a foundation for judging the facts uh, of the origins of Russiagate, just as John Durham was supposed to. Uh, are you, were you amongst those stunned at what we've seen uh, develop over the last uh, days? Yes. I, so I hadn't given up on Durham yet, although I was I was getting to be a little despondent. Um, he clearly moves very deliberately and at his own pace. What really shocked me about um, the Sussman indictment. Now, Sussman was an attorney for the Clinton campaign in DNC. Um, who, who was part of a, a scheme to go in and defraud the FBI about a bunch of lies about the Trump campaign in Russia. So the, the Sussman thing and then the Danchenko one, uh, the Sussman indictment to me came out of absolutely nowhere. I, I followed every little twist and turn in this thing. I thought I knew all the cast of characters. Obviously, I knew that he had testified in the House and that he had some kind of role. But um he was not at all on my radar as someone who might be in legal jeopardy. So, so the, the way that indictment was written, both for, for his alleged lies uh, to the FBI and the case that it laid out for the whole Alpha Bank story being a complete uh, Clinton campaign concocted fraud from the beginning, right. the detail there I, I was stunned by. And then he comes with the uh, Igor Danchenko, the, the indictment. This was the guy who is Christopher Steele, Clinton campaign subcontractor's primary subsource uh, and, and the alleged source of so many of the sensational claims, which were all fabricated in the dossier, uh, the specificity and the details and the facts in that indictment, including the fact that a Clinton campaign surrogate, a former Clinton presidency appointee, a former State Department official was one of the people feeding lies to Danchenko. That blew me away because, again, that guy's name is Charles Dolan, was this Clinton right. campaign surrogate. Uh, he was on no one's radar, no one. Um, so to read that specificity and how Durham kind of told the story of the dossier, uh, I it, it was quite a read. And um, what I find most interesting is when you look back to when that original Inspector General report came out on, on the FISA stuff and what they did to Carter Page, uh, Michael Horowitz, the DOJ IG, had said, um, all this stuff was bad, but I looked into it and I still think the whole crossfire hurricane case was properly predicated. And when that came out, you had both Attorney General William Barr and John Durham issue statements saying, we do not believe that that is the case. And so I think that's the big thing that we're still waiting from Durham. He has already put a put a marker down saying, I don't think that case, even from the beginning, was properly predicated. And I think each little indictment he's doing is putting uh, meat on the bones of that claim. But I'm looking forward to him telling that entire story, because once that's out, we know that everything from the whole uh, 2016 16 campaign, Russian collusion thing, 
was alive from beginning to end. So I'm, I'm eager for him to continue and, and hopefully soon complete his work. Well, you're reporting at the, the Federalist. Uh, I highlighted something that I completely missed, and that is the reference to uh, Biden administration, the president's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, being referenced uh, in the Durham indictment uh, of uh, the Clinton lawyer, uh, 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 Michael Sussman. I, I mean, what, what, is, what is happening here? How much jeopardy is he in, in your judgment? So, I, you know, two weeks ago, I would have said probably none legally, you know, legal jeopardy. But having seen the Sussman thing and, and then now reading about what happened in the Danchenko indictment, I, I don't know. Maybe he is. Uh, my inclination is not because in each of these different in, uh, indictments and arrests, you had Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer who fabricated uh, claims in a FISA document in order to spy on Carter Page. You had uh, Sussman lying to the FBI about who he was actually working for when he brought these fake claims about Alpha right. Bank to the FBI, who's working for the Clintons. Uh, and then Dan Shinko lying to the feds repeatedly about a whole bunch of stuff. Each one of these um, allegations has to do with lies that an individual told to a federal law enforcement, either body right. or, or agency. I'm not aware uh, of Jake Sullivan having walked in a bunch of nonsense to the FBI authenticated and said, this is all true. Now, if he did that, I, I think he very much would be in legal jeopardy. And again, I don't know what John Durham knows, and he clearly knows way more than I do. Um, so maybe he is in jeopardy, but my guess is probably not. I, I think there had to be exposure and interaction between individuals and the FBI in order for them to be at risk at this point. Well, give me, uh, give us your judgment as to how far has John Durham advanced uh, the refutation of the lies of the Democrats, uh, in particular uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, as they uh, went after uh, President Trump, uh, two attempts at impeachment and uh, overthrowing the president from the office. This is, it is now an established wide conspiracy to attack a sitting president of the United States by the, a principal party at one of the two major parties in this country. Is it not? A absolutely. And I actually think it's even worse than that. I almost kind of accept that the other side in a campaign or the loser after campaign is going to do whatever they can to screw over the, the person who beat them. Um, what I find most horrific, distasteful, and awful for the long-term survival of the Republic is the FBI's role in it, you know, specifically mm -hmm. James Comey, uh, who held this completely fake briefing for Trump on allegations, which they all knew were false, uh, for the purpose of leaking it in order to legitimize a document that everyone knew was nonsense and couldn't be legitimized. Um, so you have Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page, Kleinsmith. That to me is absolutely horrific. Um, but to your question, you know, what, what does this do to kind of cement the reality of what happened? Well, to those of us who follow the facts, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a completely damning indictment of that entire organization. But the problem is, you know, you don't control what most of the country hears in the news. I certainly don't. Um, that, that job is held by the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN. They're not telling the truth about what's happening. 
They spent years bleeding about collusion and all these allegations. And the second we learned that all these allegations were nonsense, they're nowhere to be found. So as far as you know, the long-term public perception of what actually happened, uh, I don't know if it's going to change or not because of the power these corrupt media companies have to just lie to their audience for the sole purpose of helping the Democrat Party. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And for uh, what I call the corporate left-wing media, uh, I, I don't think most people uh, really appreciate the degree to which this is a uh, a corporate enterprise, uh, whether it's uh, AT&T, its ownership of CNN, uh, Comcast, its ownership of NBC and all of its uh, uh, ancillary uh, networks, including in MSNBC and CNBC, and the, and the list goes on, or, or CBS Viacom and CBS News, Disney and ABC. Uh, Jeff Bezos, the world's second richest man, uh, ownership of the Washington Post, Carlos Slim and others who have concentrated ownership of the New York Times. This is this is extraordinary. This is these are oligarchs in control of our principal news media in this country. And people go about their days thinking blissfully this is an independent uh, press. What utter nonsense, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. So much of the information we're, we're fed is controlled by tech oligarchs. Uh, and a good example is Mark Zuckerberg. If you say things he and his little minions don't like on Facebook, they're going to ban you. For example, we have the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Wisconsin. If you tried to go and post a link to his uh, GoFundMe to help fund his defense, and by the way, everyone in this country is entitled to defend themselves in courts of law. They're entitled to have a, attorneys and, and to be able to pay them. And Facebook went and shut that down. That, that it, to me, it's unconscionable. And it's not like Zuckerberg is some disinterested observer. You had him throwing out 450 million some odd dollars uh, during the 2020 election to privatize election offices in key right. states and counties uh, throughout the country. You had his people going in to various election bureaus, finding ballots that they thought would be for Democrats and might have some problems with them and going and curing them and leaving alone all the ballots that they thought might go to Republicans alone to be disqualified. So you have these oligarchs buying up control of our election offices, uh, controlling the information that we see. It, it's it's a recipe for disaster. And it, it's certainly not the country I grew up in. And I know it's not the country you grew up in. I remember on the playground when I was growing up, and you get in arguments and fights and kids would say if someone got mad at him, well, I can say whatever I want. It's a free country. I, I don't go. feel like it's the same country anymore. Well, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you and I also uh, suffer, uh, have suffered the consequences of uh, trying to speak the truth as often as we uh, uh, felt uh, obliged or uh, are responsible. Uh, the fact is, you know, I've gotten used to uh, to consequences when I speak truth. I, I don't think most of the country uh, has. And the the fact of the matter is. Uh, there's a there's a little ray of sunshine over at the Washington Post. I want to close uh, in this conversation, uh, and, and that's Eric Wimple, uh, the uh, Wimple, uh, the Washington Post media critic, actually suggesting that those who use the dossier in this business, the journalists, uh, fine folks from the Mother Jones, MSNBC, you know Rachel Maddow, the McClatchy newspapers. Did I mention CNN? Uh, it, it, it's really stunning 
that he acknowledged the problems created for those uh, papers and news outlets, including the Washington Post. Uh, I give him great credit because he says they have a lot of, uh, I, I will paraphrase, they've got a lot to account for. Your, your reaction? Absolutely. I mean, these, these are institutions and individuals who received Pulitzer Prizes, the highest award in all of journalism, uh, for their reporting on Russian collusion. And it turns out the reporting was all nonsense. It was all lies. Everything they reported were lies fed to them uh, by partisan operatives, either in the government or on campaigns. Uh, it tells me that the spirit of Walter Durante uh, is alive and well. If these people, if these institutions had any shame, any sense of ethics or self-respect, they would return those Pulitzers immediately and they would burn every single source that fed them lies for years and years and years. And it's telling to me that not a single one of them has done that. And I, I'll even go farther, if I may. It, they should be launching huge investigative teams right now to dig into uh, Russiagate, the origins of the Russia collusion hoax, uh, and renew their efforts to, to satisfy the public's right to know and to correct, correct the history, at least the last five years of history. Uh, I, I think that's really their obligation here, don't you? Absolutely. And, and they'll never do it because they're not actually journalistic organizations. They're Democrat super PACs with bylines and broadcast licenses. And Sean Davis, co-founder of a terrific, terrific uh, web magazine called The Federalist. And it uh, it's worthy of the title, its content and its energy and uh, all that it does to uh, uh, honor the public's right to know. Sean, thanks for being with us. Enjoy the conversation. Hope you'll come back soon. Oh, it was an honor. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Sean Davis. We will continue in just one moment. Stay with us for more of The Great America Show. America is and always will be great if you and I have anything to say about it. But under the Biden administration, we, well, we've got a little less freedom to say anything at all at certain times. It's clear that President Biden and Vice President Harris are on a course toward outright disaster. They're authoritarian by nature and training and would prefer to rule by edict or fiat, issuing mandate after mandate, executive order after executive order, without, of course, justification or explanation to the American people. Their legislative agenda is simply a catastrophe for many Americans. Biden has now signed $3 trillion of spending into law. And of course, no one knows what's precisely in that spending legislation, but we do know that it will significantly add to our already $30 trillion national debt. Biden and Harris have put this country on track to be a debtor nation forever. Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan is simply an outrage. It's an insult for everything the country stands for his inability to speak coherently or find his way into or out of a room without assistance is embarrassing enough. But after the climate meeting fiasco, he's become a global laughingstock, appearing to fall asleep in the midst of those meetings he had all told all of us were so important. And then he was passing wind, apparently in the presence of the royal family. Kamala could hardly speak of anything else, we have been told. As Mr. Biden would say, come on, man, give us all a break. And certainly not that kind of break. 
The ineptitude and rank ideological fanaticism of the Biden administration is, of course, ignored by nearly all of the left-wing media, but not the American people. The most recent USA Today poll shows Biden's approval rating has plummeted to 38%, and he's been in office not even a year, and the American people are quite obviously fed up with his antics and inadequacies. And as bad as his poll numbers are, his vice president's numbers are even worse. Vice President Harris's approval rating in the same USA Today poll plunged to, are you ready, 28%, a historic low for any vice president in the modern era. She was the least popular Democratic presidential candidate back in 2020, and now she's even more unpopular than her unpopular boss. We don't have to ask why those numbers have plunged. It's, it's evident. They seem committed to destroying the nation with their feverish advocacy of Marxist radicalism and the outright lies that flow constantly from the Biden White House. They don't like to talk much to the news media, not even the left-wing news media. But fortunately, they can't hide from all of us. And amongst those investigating the Biden administration, their open border policies, their open arms to human smugglers, that will result in 2 million illegal immigrants entering the United States this year. And of course, investigations into the Russia collusion hoax. The organization Judicial Watch is prominent among those organizations committed to discovering truth and revealing the facts. Judicial Watch is led by its president, Tom Fitton. He's a conservative activist. And Tom, it's great to have you with us here and to talk once again. Let's talk first those numbers. President Biden at uh, 38% and Kamala Harris at 28%. Extraordinary. It is. And that those numbers are, are despite having all of the big media in his back pocket, Lou. It's, it's, first, of all, first of all, it's good to be back with you again. Great to have you here, man. Yeah, and, and I was glad to hear your uh, your opening statement, which was uh, pithy and honest as always. Uh, you know, he's come in as the one of the weakest presidents in recent memory in the sense that you have half of the country uh, question his election. He's barely controlling Congress. As you highlight, he's got all these cognitive challenges, and uh, he's got all these personal corruption issues. But he's governing as if he's Ronald Reagan in his second term. And he doesn't have the mandate for that. And uh, so rather than kind of going for big majorities in terms of policies, uh, he's taking this hard turn to the left uh, and the American people don't like it. A hard turn to the left. And uh, it, it, it certainly couldn't be much more left wing than pushing uh, critical race theory uh, driving restorative justice and psychoeducation, as Judicial Watch pointed out in Montgomery County schools. Uh, it, it's, it, it's stunning what they are up to, what the Democratic Party is up to, the, what the Marxist left is insisting on and insinuating into schools, into government, uh, into education. It really is. I mean, you know, taking it one step back, you've got Biden also having to manage the kind of the corrupt corporatist wing of the Democratic Party, uh, which is bipartisan in nature, as you know, Lou, and, and the rising communist wing. And to that end, uh, you've got this fanaticism uh, behind this repackaged Marxism known as critical race theory, 
uh, infecting all of our schools. The real pandemic school children we should be worrying about in terms of school children is is, is critical race theory. The, and you know, call it whatever you will, critical theory, critical race theory, climate justice, every left-wing uh, narrative is essentially has marks behind it. And they're lying because we're getting the documents showing that uh, it is, uh, they're pursuing this fundamentally racist, anti-American attitude. I mean, in Montgomery County, you're pointing out in Maryland, one of the, I, I'm still shaking my head at this one. Montgomery County is the biggest school district in Maryland, for those right. of you not, not in the area. And, and they've got this recommendation that teachers are, should be pushing uh, anti-racist baby, right? By Ibram Kendi, one of the big promoters of critical race theory. Yeah. And it's, they said it's great for uh, babies to toddlers, to three-year-olds. So oh. they're pushing CRT on our babies, Lou. Yeah, Forget yeah, about yeah. adults. It's bad enough they're targeting children. Now they're going after toddlers. Uh, so, you know, this fanaticism and, and, and it, as you pointed out, the, the totalitarianism of this movement um, knows no bounds because, you know, it's in the word totalitarian. It's total. And and it's and it's global. Uh, your investigation into Fauci and the relationship with the CCP in China and the public health uh, agencies there that are the analogs to our own whether it be the CDC, the NIH, or virology labs like the one in Wuhan, uh, there is obviously a great deal of communication, a great deal of uh, networking and concerted efforts in the placement of Chinese officials and international health organizations, including WHO. Tell us, tell us about that and what you've learned. Well, you know, it goes, let's go back to the beginning. WHO is an international organization, like most international transnational organizations. They're controlled by the bad guys, and in this case, China. So one of the first things that happened after it became known uh, that uh, this China virus was WHO started collaborating with all the various countries, including China, and they issued a press release on it, we found, on, on the res international response to covid and the release, it was noted in the documents, uh, went out of its way to praise China. And who signed off on that? Fauci. And then later, as they're investigating China, China starts requiring, it looks like in the documents, additional confidentiality terms for our government officials, Fauci's deputy, to go and investigate China. Of course, they signed off on it. And then when you look further back, you see this collaboration with China is just like, it's, it's jaw dropping in the breadth and scope and length of uh, how far back it's been going uh, in terms of uh, the Chinese uh, research agencies and research entities working with government money, our government money uh, to uh, do all sorts of biologic research, including it's now confirmed thanks to pressure from judicial watch litigation uh, gain of function research. And I mean, when you see documents, I didn't know, did you know, Lou, that Fauci's agency had a person in Beijing who was charged with monitoring what was going on there, including visiting Wuhan often. And they were very nervous about what was going on in Wuhan. 
And it's incredible. They've got a spy operation running against Wuhan while giving them money at the same time. Only, you know, Fauci's got a lot to answer for, I tell you. But he's but he's been brought to account, certainly. He just straightforwardly uh, and bald-facedly lied uh, to Senate committees, uh, in particular Senator Rand Paul, who challenged him uh, straightforwardly uh, and directly on the relationship between Fauci and the Chinese, the NIH, the CDC, and those public health agencies in China, and, and the virology labs uh, in Wuhan and around China itself. Interesting in the material that of, uh, all of it's interesting, but I, I, it just drew my eye. The, the reference in your uh, FOIA on HHS regarding Fauci uh, on the contracts there, that uh, they helped raise, quote, raise China's voice of governance by placing representatives from China on important international councils as high-level commitment from China, end quote. It seems like a blathering rationalization suggesting that China was giving something up in order for uh, its officials, Chinese officials, to be placed on the World Health Organization, whatever the agency might be. Oh, well, you're, you're kind of getting there's there's a one there's a key detail that I, I think you may be missing is that this is the Gates Foundation helping China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've got our people there talking with the Gates Foundation in China about how the Gates Foundation is advocating for China on these, as you point out, WHO and organizations like that. I don't know what else you would describe as being international agencies other than something like WHO. So you've got Gates people, uh, the foundation, according to this government document, the, as right. I said, China, Fauci's woman in China was reporting back on her meeting with the Gates Foundation describing their efforts uh, to lift China up. It's, it's extraordinary. I didn't know about that. Did you? I, you know, you always have it in your head. They're always working with bad guys abroad. Uh, but when they're admitting to government officials, hey, we're actually advocating for Chinese government officials internationally. It's like, whoa. And of course, the big media doesn't want to cover this. Uh, you know, they've been protecting Fauci. Uh, and it goes back in the Trump administration. Obviously, it's even worse during the Biden administration because because Fauci is now seen as a, an avatar for Biden. They're going to protect him no matter what. Absolutely. And to me, what is striking is that the Chinese have demanded that representation on WHO uh, with the uh, express uh, complicity, I would say assistance, but it's complicity. Uh, from our public health agencies, including Fauci at uh, the NIH, the CDC, and the list goes down, on, to the United Nations, and placing the top officials of the WHO are all Chinese or Chinese-sponsored uh, representatives of their policies. It's really staggering, and no one wants to report on this, except for uh, Judicial Watch and a, and a handful of other folks. Well, it's pretty clear that any biologic research the Chinese were doing was uh, was hand in glove with Fauci's agency. Right. I mean, when you look at the documents we've uncovered going back years and years, uh, you have to wonder what the Chinese were doing that didn't have government funding from U.S. taxpayers. And when you look at the nature of 
of this sort of biologic research. I don't know if I'm using the technical term, but it's some one I can pronounce, which is biologic. Uh, you 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 got to wonder, you know, who who's fooling whom here? In the sense that, uh, is this defense related work? Is this biological warfare related work? Uh, it would seem to me you don't want to providing to providing uh, expertise in this area to our adversaries, but that's what they were doing. And, um, you know, as we've seen more recently, there's no doubt it was gain of function. Yeah. And, and striking is that in the midst of all of this, uh, during the Trump administration, of course, nothing was bolder or brighter or more animated than the Hillary Clinton inspired Russia collusion conspiracy with the deep state, uh, with the uh, law enforcement agencies, federal law enforcement agencies uh, driving. So here's on one hand, you have the deep state uh, represented by the public health agencies and and Dr. Fauci working with the communist Chinese, but at the same time doing everything they can to smear a sitting president with uh, charges of collusion that were utterly baseless charges of collusion with Russia. Uh, it, it's a breathtaking uh, irony and dichotomy, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you you know, you had, uh, um, and on top of that, you had Biden's personal relationship with China through Hunter, mm -hmm. where Hunter went on a trip to China on the vice president's plane at the time and engaged in business dealings that by uh, uh, by the accounts of Hunter's laptop and and other independent witnesses benefited uh, Joe Biden directly and personally. So, you know, and, and, you know, when you look at it, it's pretty clear that everything they're accusing Trump of doing, they were doing, but so much worse. Having compromised business relationships with foreign countries, uh, using the powers of government to it and, and using the powers of government to advance those interests. You know, the irony with Trump, I mean, with, uh, with Obama, the, the Obama administration, I mean, just look at how many countries they work with just to go after Trump. You had the Australians, you had the UK, you had Ukraine, you had Russia. Um, and, and of course, um, you had all of the intelligence agencies of the United States all going after Trump. Uh, it, it's really incredible. I'm, I'm glad to see Durham finally getting off his duff and doing something. Uh, Boy, has they, he done something. I mean, he's delivered two charges here. But boy, are they important, uh, implicating uh, the Democrat uh, law firm uh, and uh, and a uh, <laughs> a Brookings Institution uh, hack, if I can put it that way, uh, who was a foundation for the farcical dossier, a fraudulent effort uh, created by uh, by the Hillary Clinton campaign and maneuvered through to the Justice Department itself and the FBI by the, by the friends of, of, uh, of Hillary, if not Bill. Yeah, the latest Durham indictment seemed, you know, as alleged, confirms that the uh, author of the dossier, the key, the key salacious falsehoods against Trump, is a liar. He made it up. He took a factoid, would add facts to it, uh, like, for instance, Trump visited the Moscow Hotel, he learned. What did he do? He added all the salacious sex allegations. 
Uh, he pretended that every rumor and allegation he heard was fact. He changed it all up. And uh, all of that ended up in these FISA warrants. And so what I think is interesting here is that we've got, as you point out, the Trump, uh, the Clinton law firm, one of the two top lawyers, the guy who wrote the dossier for Christopher Steele, who was on the payroll of the Clinton campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got the Clinton campaign really dead the rights here. And the question is, how high up will Durham go? But the big, the next big step, it seems to me, is what is Durham going to do about the other side of the ledger there? Which who, and, and if I'm the defense attorneys for Sussman and, and, and Donjenko, I'd be like, well, you know, how could we lie to our co-conspirators? They all knew what we were up to. That we were lying to them. They were lying to us. And we all liked it that it because we were helping Hillary and going after Trump. Yeah, well, what so the do question is, is Durham going to go after the FBI and DOJ for engaging with these folks and pushing this, knowing it was a big it was it was a smear and a falsehood? Yeah, we, there, we know we understand clearly the connections within the FBI and the Justice Department and the upper echelons of the Democratic apparatus in Washington, D.C. Uh, they were uh, working hand in glove to do the bidding of Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign. And we've known it for five years now. Five, 2016, let's make it four years. Yeah, We know that they, they were framing the national security advisor of, a, of, of an elected president right. uh, you know, in his first uh, month on office, for crying out loud. Uh, this is it's it's breathtaking that we're still having this discussion on one hand uh, that it's necessary. But on the other, it is an ex, it's an extraordinary gift that Durham has delivered, which is a reopening of uh, these issues that the left has tried to bury and to cover up and to just move on from. Uh, now open because of that uh, that indictment and all that has unfolded around it, uh, we're be, we're able to talk about a president who was uh, impeached not once but twice, who went through an almost two year special counsel investigation, all because of the Hillary Clinton campaign and its fraudulent uh, efforts to overthrow a president, uh, in concert with the deep state and the Democratic Party. I mean, that's where we are now, is it not? It is. And unfortunately, the Republicans gave up on the corruption issue um, after Joe Biden came in. Is there anything they haven't given up on? Just if because I, I've missed it, if there's anything that they have not given up on. Well, they're, they're riding the CRT wave. Whether it'll be substantive um, work there is an open question. Uh, but, uh, you know, Republicans win despite themselves. I should say Republican leaders win despite themselves because, right. you know, in my view, the Republican leadership has zero interest in these issues. And that's one of the reasons we're talking about it five years from now, five years after the information should have been released. I mean, we couldn't even get the Republican House and Senate to honestly investigate the misconduct of in, in theory there the, the, the opposite party even if even when trump was running the white house and the administration that's how awful it was well and let's get credit where credits do uh, one of the reasons there were so many problems in the early days of the uh, trump white house is because the former head of the 
Republican National Committee, writes Priebus, was his chief of staff, representing the establishment of the Republican Party. And if by extension, a good margin of that membership would be never Trumpers. And currently, the Ronald McDaniel, who is the head of the RNC, who assured everybody that she had two million people in the field and that had everything under control and was rolled, uh, you know, like a, a a boy scout at a uh, you know a, a boxing camp. It was just, I mean, it's pitiful what we've witnessed. And as you point out on CRT, what did it take for Ronna McDaniel and the RNC to take up the issue? It took Virginia and Youngkin's victory there because school boards and parents decided the hell with this we're not going to put up with it anymore with terry mcauliffe representing the marxist left saying you know parents really don't have any place telling schools what they want their their children to be taught i mean it's outrageous trying to turn our heritage upside down in public education you know what i like about the virginia story um is that that CRT issue was organic. It was the people took the lead and politicians either, you know, got with the program in the case of Yunkin, or they were rolled over in the case of McCullough. And it wasn't because of brilliant Republican strategy. It was the parents. They, they were outraged and uh, there was a wave as a result. So a lot of this, as I say, is, you know, are, are we going to have leaders that reflect the, you know, kind of taking the bigger picture here? And I would advise politicians of both parties because I'm concerned, you know, I'm concerned that the communists are ruining uh, a major political party. I mean, it's in our interest to make sure the Democrats are just regular liberals as opposed to communists. We don't want that in a republic. Is that, you know, do we have leaders in the political class that reflect the will of the people or are they going to be antagonistic? And, uh, you know, and I think to the degree they're able to reflect and and in good faith uh, promote their views, uh, they'll do well. And if they're seen on the wrong side, they get shellacked, as we saw in Virginia. Well, when you say you're I, I, I don't know how much comfort I take from what I'm inferring you're saying, which is you're worried about the Democratic Party turning into a bunch of communists. Uh, I, I'm more worried about the Democratic Party that is already led by Marxist leftists right. uh, and are absolutely antithetical in every part of their ideology, their philosophy, their operating mechanisms as a political party and structure. And I'm trying to destroy America. This is well, a, I, this is not an abstraction. I agree. They are trying to wrest control of school boards. And uh, from and and public education, from the hands of the parents and the people they elect to run local schools and, and education, uh, it, it's it, it's bald face uh, a, a a counter in, uh, a, a counterattack uh, within uh, the education system. I agree. It's a revolutionary period we're in, and you know, and they see for the communists. They don't see a, a repudiation uh, last week, whether it be in New York or Virginia or Pennsylvania or anywhere else, New Jersey. They see it as, you know, when they when elections like that happen, they see it as confirmation that America needs the system needs to be overturned. 
because the people aren't allowed to have a voice. We can't have that. That's their point of view. Yeah, we can't have objective testing because that right. is, they say that is racist uh, and unfair, which is, you know, pure balderdash. But people haven't got the guts to say directly that this is nonsense and that it's got to stop. I mean, I, I love some of the language that was tortured in the last uh, few days. Barack Obama says Donald Trump's nationalism failed the world on climate change. What kind of moronic nonsense is that? His nationalism, it's populism. And that populism means that the people will have power and demonstrate uh, that power just as they did in Virginia and almost in New Jersey. AOC comes out with more rhetorical nonsense and semantic uh, uh, gymnastics. She says Republicans using woke, the expression woke, as, quote, derogatory euphemism for civil rights. These people are utterly mad. They're putting, they're putting out nonsense and spewing what is nothing more than, uh, you know, asinine gibberish trying to take away accountability uh, from, them, from themselves. Well, to outsiders, it looks crazy, too. But if you're a communist, it makes perfect sense. For instance, <laughs> when they say, you know, the new lieutenant governor, Messiers in Virginia, who's um, African-American conservative, you know, they imply she's a white supremacist. Now, we laugh at that, and rightly so. I don't laugh at it, to be honest with you, Tom. But, I think it's but, pure propaganda. It's an insult to her and to everybody who voted for her and her, her service to the country already. Well, I, I, I agree. And my point is that they're being perfect. That, that is internally consistent for the communist approach. We don't understand how they could call a black person a white supremacist. But for the communists, they believe unless you're with the program, you're the enemy. Yeah, well, you know what? They're right. And uh, by the way, they're making lots of enemies. They're called the American people. And they see in real terms, in vivid terms, what they just tried to do with our school system. And now the veil is gone. The scales have dropped from our eyes. And we know exactly what the left is trying to do. They can't recover from this. And if the Republican Party led by Ronald McDaniel doesn't have, and Mitch McConnell, of course, Mitch McConnell, who is cheering the bipartisan spending legislation, the infrastructure bill, like some sort of, I mean, his fraudulence is overwhelming, frankly. But the Republican Party either finds new leadership or it dies. I mean, I really believe that. But you get the last word here today, Tom. Well, you know, all we can do is what we can do. And, you know, this is this is my critique of my allies in the House and the Senate, our friends in the media. It's like, are you doing everything you can do to save the republic against against this rising communism? And you know, Lord knows Judicial Watch is doing what we can do and trying to do more. Uh, but I tell you, this is a significant threat uh, to our republic. Our republic is tottering. We didn't even get to the to the border crisis. Uh, but uh, we need the leadership to step up. And if the leadership won't step up, we need new leadership. That's for sure. Well said, Tom. And uh, as to the issues we didn't get to today, I hope you'll be back with us soon and often. Uh, here you. on the uh, the Great America Show, uh, this podcast is dedicated to those issues you hold dearest as well. Uh, so I hope you'll be back soon. It's great talking with you, and I wish you all the best, my friend. Thank you, Tom Fitton. Thank you very much. Thanks for all you do, 
and your leadership of Judicial Watch, the important work your organization uh, has uh, accomplished for the country. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.